Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't we start with Kevin Durant. Breaking news in the way that it's been a week since he decided he wanted to bail on Brooklyn. Not that surprising, right? The fact that he wants out, the fact that he's not happy, the fact that he wants to try something else. Not surprising. However, what's a little surprising is there has not been that much movement at all with regards to him wanting to bail. For instance, the Suns were one of the teams where he wanted to go, according to reports. But they didn't have much to offer, and when they signed DeAndre Ayton, that took them out of the running. The Heat and Raptors reportedly are still in the mix, but they're not exactly falling all over themselves to get KD either. However, according to Woj, a new challenger has approached. A new challenger has presented itself, and it's none other than the Boston Celtics. Isn't that interesting? Like, well, well, well. My half-fam apparently has an interest. According to Woj, quote, Boston's ability to include all-star forward Jalen Brown as a centerpiece in offers does help make the team formidable in its pursuit. That's interesting. Shams also added this, quote, The Celtics offered Brown, guard Derek White, and a draft pick to the Nets. For Durant, sources said, The proposal was rejected, and Brooklyn has asked Boston in any proposal to include Brown, Defensive Player of the Year Marcus Smart, draft picks, and potentially one more rotation player, those sources added. End of quote. Of course, they're going to ask for a lot, a hell of a lot. And, of course, this worked its way back to Jalen Brown, who tweeted SMH. He popped in on Twitter with just that, SMH. Now, I don't know if that tweet means he's already going to Brooklyn and he's shaking his head about it, or if he's merely shaking his head about the speculation and about the trade possibility. If the offer was brown, white, and a pick for Durant, I could see why that was ruled out of hand quickly. I could see why that was rejected. That should be swatted out of the building. I could see why Brooklyn would want to help a lot more. And I can see why they would ask for smart, more picks, and a rotation player as well. I know why they're asking. However, if I'm Boston, I would be very, very careful about that. You were just in the finals. You had a 2-1 lead in the finals. And you'd be blowing that up by getting rid of an all-star and a defensive player of the year. I mean, obliterating something for something else when it might not necessarily be broke. Don't get me wrong. When Kevin Durant is healthy, he is one of the best players on the planet. Maybe even arguably the best player on the planet not named Giannis when he's healthy because he's only played 90 regular season games since 2019 and he's about to turn 34 and he's about as prickly as they come and he's won only one playoff series in Brooklyn and thank you Alvin way to get that in today before he turned 34. Thank you. That, 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 that. 
fact of the matter, too, if he doesn't feel enough love, he bounces. He's proven that time and time again. Like, you already had Kyrie Irving, right, in that locker room a few years back. Have you already forgotten how horribly that went? You know what team chemistry means. You know how much it matters. Because that team got a hell of a lot better the second Kyrie walked out that door. I'm not saying that Durant is that toxic. I'm not saying that Durant is Kyrie when it comes to locker room poison. And he is a better player than Brown. And he is a better player than Smart. But is he better than both Brown and Smart? Are the Celtics minus Brown and Smart and a rotation player and picks closer to an NBA title than they were a few weeks back? Let me rephrase that. Or not rephrase that, but ask that again. Think about that for a minute. Are they, the Celtics, minus Brown and Smart and a rotation player and picks closer to an NBA title than they were a few weeks back? I'm not so sure. There was a time when any team would throw anything and almost everything they had to get Durant. Now may not be that time. And the Celtics sure as hell may not be that team. We are talking about two of the three most important pieces to the Celtics. A Celtics team that was up two games to one in the finals. And you'd give that up for a guy that you practically erased in a sweep three months ago. Are you sure that's something you want to do? I mean, clearly it's something they're thinking about, or they really would not have risked pissing off a young cornerstone the way they just did. Or, and I like this part even better, maybe that's not what they did. Maybe it's got nothing to do with Boston. Think about that for a minute. Maybe it's not Boston. Maybe all the smoke is coming from Brooklyn, which to me would be about the most hilarious thing ever. Like, nobody's really interested in making a move for our guy. Our guy doesn't want to be here, but nobody's making a move or an offer interesting enough for us to move our guy. What do we do now? Oh, I know. We'll just make up a trade. We'll just pull a trade out of our ass. I'm just talking hypothetically here. This guy wants out. Nobody wants to pay our price. What do we do? Let's just make something up out of thin air, theoretically. Just pull it right out of our ass. Leak it to the media. Stir up some bleep for one of our rivals in the East. I got to tell you something. I'm not saying that that's what they're doing. I'm saying it would be smart as hell to do it. One of the better things they've done. I mean, it might not actually lead them to getting a deal done, but what it would do is create some havoc and some chaos for the defending Eastern Conference champs. And that's not a bad thing if you're Brooklyn. I mean, if you're Brooklyn and you're swimming, not even swimming, but drowning in a sea of mediocrity, and you're not getting any better yourself, maybe the way to improve yourself is to make the competition worse. Like, one of Boston's strengths in the playoffs was their team chemistry. If you're Brooklyn and you can jack with that, That's a win in and of itself, even if you're getting no bites on the line for your player. If Brooklyn does have to run it back with Kyrie and KD this year, their team chemistry is going to continue to suck. They can't improve that. But if you can mess 
with everyone else's team chemistry, that almost makes your team chemistry better. Almost. In other words, if you can't improve yourself, maybe you can still get better by making somebody else worse and just making a bunch of stuff up and leaking it. I'm not saying that's what they did. I'm saying it's smart if they did. 1-800-636-8686. So quick shout out to my half fam. Hey, half fam. Hey, half fam. Would you do that deal? Would you do that deal? Would you break up your core? Would you move two of your three cornerstones to get a guy who's one of the best in the world? One of the best to ever play. But a guy who you can't really count on to stay healthy and a guy who you really can't count on to be happy and a guy who's going to turn 34. Is he going to put you over the top? Half fam. Would you make that deal? I'm not saying I wouldn't trade for him. I'm saying I want to know what the package is. And if that's the package, I'm not so sure I'd do that. I don't know if that brings you closer to where you were. I mean, again, you did with the package. With the nucleus you have, you damn near erased this guy yourself a few months back. Oh, yeah. I absolutely love that sound. Brings a smile to my face every single time because that is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. That's why I love that sound. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business. So upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere and synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. They can do all of that for you. Listen, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I know this. I know where we started. I know where we are right now, and I'm still on that journey. And like mine, Shopify powers over millions of businesses from first sale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. Go to shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. Darius Butler. Darius, what's cracking? How you doing, man? Huge F1 guy. Jim, what's up, man? I'm good. How are you? Good, dude. Good. I know you are a huge F1 guy. I'm going to try and get there. Let's get right to it. Let me ask you first, Darius, what about Kyler Murray? I'm going to go right to it. What was your reaction to his contract last week, and what kind of expectations do you have for the cards this season? Uh, you know what? I expected I expected to get done, uh, you know, as soon as he started ruffling feathers early in the offseason. And, uh, you know, Cliff, when he got extended, they had the same agent. I definitely expected this to get done um, before the season. It was the right move, I think, for the Cardinals. You know, you see where where the state of that franchise before they drafted Kyler uh, first overall, and you see the steps they've taken since. Now, have they made a, a strong playoff push? No, but you can say that about a lot of a lot of teams around the league and a lot of young quarterbacks. But um, I think the onus and the pressure is just as much on his head coach as it is on him. Um, but they did the right thing by locking him up. And, I mean, if you look at the quarterback market, Deshaun Watson got 230 guaranteed. You know, Kyler got 160 guaranteed. So that's 70 less million guaranteed on a new deal. So uh, I think it was the right move for them. And the expectations for him 
Uh, I mean, right now it's it's not much just to make the playoffs and compete in the division. Now they, they need to take that next step, I think, internally and uh, make a deep run. I think if you look around that locker room and if they have all of the pieces to do so, um, you don't jump out to a, a, a 10 and two start, 10 and three starting NFL without having the talent in the building. So I think um, from coaching staff wise, from management and from the players challenging each other, I think they have what it takes to make a strong push in the playoffs. But right now, I'm just expecting them to, uh, you know, be competitive within that division and make the playoffs. Darius Butler, my guest. One more thought about Kyler. You know, he did take some heat after the season for a perceived lack of leadership. What do you see when you look at him as a leader? Do you have any concerns yourself about that? You know, there are some things. uh, And obviously, knowing people, you know, around the league, you know, those are questions um, uh, when it comes to Kyler Murray. And um, those, that's something he's going to have to deal with internally. It's so hard for me to even really make a judgment on that being outside of that locker room because I know uh, the media will perceive certain people as good leaders or bad leaders, and, and what's really going on in that locker room is a complete different story. So I think we'll see. You know, we just, we can tell by body language during games, you know, after games when he's addressing media, how his teammates talk about him, how his coaches talk about him. And that's uh, what also comes with a new contract like this. There are more expectations internally and externally. And uh, Kyler, I think it's obviously that he's wired a little differently, uh, which has served him well, you know, thus far in his life. You know, first player to be drafted first round in baseball and in football. So athletically, he obviously has every gift you could possibly want at the position. But now those intangibles, those leadership uh, uh, capability and how you your emotional intelligence with managing that locker room and the coaching staff and dealing with all the other challenges that come with the media, community, all those different things with, that comes with being a face of a franchise and one of the young faces of the league, honestly, uh, is a lot to deal with. So it's going to be um, interesting to see how he manages it. Uh, but I think, you know, it, it's a lot of other great leaders on that team, too. I think they did a great job bringing in the J.J. Watts and drafting Buda Baker and having guys like that on the team, but at that quarterback position, Kyler's definitely going to have to step up in that department, and I think he's uh, more than capable. We're talking to Darius Butler. So, Darius, what does that Kyler Murray contract mean for Lamar Jackson, and why do you think a deal has not been done there yet? Uh, it's hard to say, because from everything we've heard, you know, the Ravens have been wanting a deal done, and I'm sure, you know, once, once Deshaun does something like that, getting that 230 fully guaranteed, like, that changes things, and, and especially when you are Lamar Jackson, you know, he's a guy that there's absolutely no reason I should take a dollar less and not fully guarantee. You know, Sean hasn't played in a couple of years. Obviously, he has what he's going on off the field, and Lamar Jackson haven't had, hasn't had issues off the field, has won an MVP, has won playoff games, has the highest winning percentage at his age as a quarterback. So there's no reason – that he would take anything less than what Deshaun did with changing that market. And was that kind of like a 4-D chess move by the Browns to kind of price out the other quarterbacks in that division potentially? Maybe, but now they're stuck in that situation, and, and Lamar maybe will even bet on himself and let that number just continue to, to rise going into this year. But this is a huge year um, for Lamar. I want him, I want to see him get paid because it is a, a game where, you know, at any given play, any given game, you know, you it can be over and you can never be that same player. So I would definitely like him to be locked up and secure going into this year. Um, but I can also see uh, what he sees as far as betting on himself and just seeing that number continually rise up because he should be a guy 
you know, where it's obviously going to be at least $160 million guaranteed at this point, but I'm sure he's looking at that Deshaun Watson deal like, hey, this is what I want, you know, at least. Kyler got more than Deshaun yearly, you know, 46.1, I believe. But as far as full guarantees, I'm sure that's what Lamar is, um, you know, looking at. Darius Butler is joining me for a few more moments. So I know you're always locked in on the Colts. Let me ask you this. I had Naeem Hines on the show last week. He was raving, dude. He was raving about Matt Ryan and what he brings to the team in terms of knowledge and leadership and how fired up he has everybody already. How big of an impact do you think that Ryan's going to have on the Colts? You know, leadership. That, that, that's like you said, kind of what we talked about earlier with, um, with Kyler Murray. And um, I'm sure you're hearing a lot of the same things I'm hearing as far as Matt Ryan's leadership capabilities and being a, he's been a guy that's been around the league, you know, forever. Um, has had expectations going into every year as far as, you know, being one of the top quarterbacks. Um, he's 37 and he needs the guys around him, um, uh, to, to pick him up and elevate his play as much as they need him and his leadership. So I'm keeping a close eye on that wide receiver room, you know, and even the tight end room, you know, you lose a guy like Jack Doyle who's dependable, who's going to be in his spots, who's going to understand protections, understand coverages and where he needs to be. And that's what Matt Ryan is going to need. So you got a young uh, tight end room with Mo Alicott and the, the guy they drafted out of Virginia. And then the receivers are young. You got Michael Pippen Jr., who's talented, but he's young. Um, Paris Campbell, who hasn't really been able to stay on the field, he's a young, dynamic player. You went and drafted Alec Pierce in the second round out of Cincinnati. He's young, but you're going to hire a guy like Reggie Wayne onto that training staff, who's one of the smartest players that I've ever played with or against. So I think he'll pay huge dividends being in that wide receiver room and helping bring in that wide receiver room along. Um, but Matt Ryan, his leadership, and him not really turning over the ball or, or making those crazy plays that um, – I wouldn't say not turning over the ball, but making those crazy plays that Carson kind of made at times last year, I think will help his offense. But at some point, this passing game is going to have to be dynamic uh, to win meaningful ball games for him in the AFC. Darius, one more thing. You recently tweeted that the best athlete you've ever seen in person is either Odell Beckham Jr. or Dominique Rogers Cromartie. Break that down for me. What made those guys so unique? Man, uh, just, just special. Uh, DRC, I'll start with him. You know, he's a guy that was probably, you know, 6'3", um, could fly at 4'2 speed, could jump out of the building and just move. When I think about an athlete, I think about, like, Overall fluidity. Okay, if I can take this guy and put him in almost any sport, I play basketball with DRC. I'm sure he could play baseball. He could probably play hockey if you put him on some skates and put a stick in his hand. So when I look at athletes, and the same thing with Odell Jr., I feel like he could have been a professional athlete at almost any sport. These guys are just fluid. I played against Odell. I remember playing against him as a rookie. And him not even understanding necessarily the NFL game to that degree. But some of the things that he was doing on the field, like I, I hadn't really seen other receivers be able to do it as far as getting in and out of cup, covering the ground, and he was there adjusting and catching the ball with his hand-eye coordination that he had. So those guys um, just separated themselves. You know, Randy Moss would be another guy. I played with him. He's a little older, but still some of the things that he did athletically. And obviously you come across so many athletic freaks when you're in the NFL, but DRC and OBJ – were two guys that definitely uh, would stand out. Hey, Darius, I got about 60 seconds. So, like, you could take either of those guys because of their fluidity and put them in any sport, but could you put them behind the wheel of an F1 rig? <laughs> hey, you know what? It's all mental, man. Could, could they could they deal with that with that threat of, you know, you're hitting corners at 130, 120, you're going 200 miles an hour, wheel-to-wheel action, man. I, I don't know about that. That's all between the ears, and I think those guys, 
are obviously tremendous athletes too. But um, you know, shout out to Lewis Hamilton. He, he raced his 300 Grand Prix this past weekend in the French Grand Prix and ended up on a podium. I think for his 187th time. Um, so it was, it was an exciting race. Uh, once again, I'm always tuned in every Sunday. They got one more before their summer break, and then we got the NFL season started at the right time. So I'm ready for that. My man, I love how much you love F1, and we'll hit that next time for sure. Darius Butler, <laughs> nine-year vet. Remember, he is the creator and host of the Everything DB Show, which you can find on YouTube, co-host of the Man to Man podcast. Darius, great job. Always good to have you on. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Jim. Appreciate You're the man, dude. Appreciate you. So I have a brand new product that I can't wait to tell you about, the Turbo Extreme Steam Steam and Iron 2-in-1. I love this bad boy. Yeah, I'll tell you what, if you know anything about me, even before my radio program became a TV simulcast, I always want to look buttoned up, always want to look professional. And part of that is making sure that I am wrinkle-free. I found myself the most powerful handheld steamer. I love it. It's fast, and there is easy wrinkle removal, an extra-large sole plate that can be used vertically or horizontally, and it works without steam as a dry iron. I'm talking about the Conair Turbo Extreme Steam. Advanced heat technology is ready almost instantly, and it obliterates wrinkles with turbocharged dry steam. Four settings for delicate to turbo is perfect for all fabrics. Plus, it is easy to use, and it's great both for at home or on the go. Again, I love this product. To get yours today, go to Amazon and search for Conair Turbo Extreme Steam. That's Conair Turbo Extreme Steam. The, the Devontae Adams thing started because on Friday he was interviewed by CBS Sports HQ. And he was asked about the transition from Green Bay to Vegas. Again, I'm sure that's a question that he's heard a million times. Except this time, this is the answer that he went with. I mean, anytime you change quarterbacks from, you know, a Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer, you go, you know, Stabler to, to Rich Gannon or whoever you go to, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment. And, you know, both are, are great players and, and great to be around. So, interesting response. And it did not take long for that to go viral. That went viral in the time that it takes Adams to run a 40. Because, of course, the implication is he's going from one Hall of Famer, and by the way, not just a Hall of Famer, but a first ballot. The second he's eligible, one second later, he's going into the Hall of Fame, Aaron Rodgers. From that Hall of Famer to another Hall of Famer in Derek Carr. So that right there was a record scratch moment. Because Derek Carr is a guy that everybody loves to bash. Not me. I like Derek Carr. I really like Derek Carr. And I've liked him going back to his days at Fresno State. I'd argue this guy takes way more crap than he deserves. I mean, we are talking about a player that has thrown for 4,000 plus yards in four straight years. A guy whose passer rating has been above 100 in two of the last three years. He's a good quarterback. And he did a bunch of that while having to work with John Gruden. However, nobody is calling Derek Carr a Hall of Famer. Nobody thinks Derek Carr is in Aaron Rodgers' league. Not even Derek Carr. Hell, not even Raider Mike. And And if I'm being really honest, much as I like Carr, a sentence which includes both Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr is never going to end well. Tyreek Hill, 
hyping Tua over Patrick Mahomes cannot believe how absurd that is. Mahomes? So, Adams took some for that answer. And knowing that, yesterday he tried to explain exactly what he meant. Suffish is to say, Devontae Adams trying to explain what Devontae Adams said was like a DB trying to cover Devontae Adams. It went terribly. It went like this. Being a rapper is is very vital. I say one of the, you got to have the bars, obviously. You know you got to have the bars. You got to have, the lines got to be there. But a very, very vital and critical piece of being a rapper is the delivery, right? I wasn't a great rapper the other day. Uh, okay. I wasn't expecting you to talk rap, but I guess I kind of see it working. I guess, sort of, I did until you said this. What I'm not going to do is take away from that statement because why is Derek not a, a Hall of Famer, you know? But what I, what I meant, I left one key word out of there because that's not exactly what I meant, but I do think that Derek's career is Hall of Fame worthy, and, and why not? I mean, does he have the, the MVPs right now? You know, no. Does he, has he won a Super Bowl? Not yet. You know, that's obviously what we're, what we're chasing. Wait, what? So you left out one key word. You left out one key word or you meant every word you said. Because it sounds to me like you're still saying that Derek Carr is a Hall of Famer. Look, Devontae's having his guys back. And doesn't want to get up there and say, actually, you're right. Derek Carr is not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I get that, Devontae. But you're not helping him, man. You're hurting him. And you shouldn't be saying that to anybody anywhere. And he shouldn't be talking about I mean, saying his career is Hall of Fame worthy... It's just a weird take. And then going on to explain that he doesn't have any MVPs or Super Bowls pretty much underlines why he's not a Hall of Famer. You know, like, aside from the fact that my guy has never won a Super Bowl or been an MVP or, by the way, even won a single playoff game, my guy is a Hall of Famer. Don't tell me he's not. Like, that's getting dangerously close to Andre Risen declaring himself to be the best receiver ever and then doubling down with, quote, I'm coming out with my own Hall of Fame, end of quote. Like, this is getting so much more complicated than it ever needed to be. The only thing that ever needed to be said was, anytime you go from one quarterback to another, it is a transition. That's it. End of sentence. End of answer. End of take. No controversy at all. You know, Adams, the sharpest, most precise dude in the league when it comes to running routes, was on skates for this one. That MMA announcer was smoother than Adams, and he was shouting out things like, Oh, excuse me, me, my bad. bad. My bad. I called it wrong. My bad. My bad. I got the scores right. I got the winner wrong. My bad, my friend. Uh, I'm sorry. Again, I want to be very, very clear about this. Devontae Adams is a good dude and an incredible player, and I see him working, but he is working way, 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 way too hard. I get it. Derek Carr is your dude. You go way back. He knows the crap that Carr has taken. He wants to make sure he always shows up for his guy. But having his dudes back and trying to throw a yellow blazer on that back right now are two entirely different things. Like, Devontae's bond with Carr is cool, but him trying to get him to skip the mandatory five-year waiting period and put him in the Hall of Fame today 
before he's even won a single playoff game is not cool. What I'm getting at is this. Devontae had to know that choosing the Raiders over the Packers meant that most would assume that he'd rather play with Derek Carr than Aaron Rodgers. And that most would never, ever understand that. And that he was going to get asked about that. And since that was inevitable, he should have had a nice, tight answer, locked and loaded. And that was not the case. My man is much better at running his routes than his mouth because every time he opens it, he's making it worse, at least with regards to this topic. Devontae, my advice to you, going forward, this is really important now. This goes for every Raider, but you in addition. Tip well. That's the first bit of advice I'd give to any Raider. Tip well. And then for your next presser, Better to say as little as possible. Yes, it's lame. Yes, it's the way the game is played. But in the interest of self-preservation, you should play that game. Saying, quote, I wasn't a great rapper the other day is the understatement of the entire summer. I wasn't a great rapper. You were the grump by comparison. When I was uh, in high school, I was in a rap group. So hopefully I still have some of the skills. Uh, All right, here I go. Uh, you guys probably don't miss me because the grump doesn't have a good rep. But you didn't know how to dance, so me and Lance taught you the two-step. You scoffed and laughed, so I, I cut down all the trees in the jungle so you couldn't breathe. I, oh, shit. I cut down all the trees in the jungle. An actual jungle caller back in the day trying to rap. So do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Maybe not, right? Well, Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that helps give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. That's strong. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and it's easy to use, especially when you're on the go. Something else I like about that. My favorite part Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin, leaving your skin feeling comfortable, and it will not irritate your skin. One of the first things I heard early on in this business, especially when I got into TV, is the importance of moisturizing. I love that. So, try Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel all day. Jay Norvell is my guest. Jay, it is so good to have you back. How are you? Awesome, Jim. How you doing, brother? Dude, I am so good, Jay. Looking forward to this conversation. So before we get to the start of the season, you got to bring me up to date. How is your life right now, and how is the mood around the program? Uh, it's, it's been great, Jim. The last uh, six months, it's been, uh, it's been the mad scramble that you would think when you start a new program, hiring a staff, uh, getting to know the new players, spring practice. Uh, really just meeting all the people in the community, uh, the great boosters and supporters that they have here at CSU, and uh, just getting up to speed with this this new community and this new program. It's been, the support has been incredible. So, Jay, before we talk about how you went about doing that, I want to ask you, because you and I spoke when you were at Nevada, you had a great, great, great thing going there. I know how emotional and connected you were to the program, the players, the community, but at the same time, because of that success, your name was going to come up for a lot of jobs. So what was it about this particular opportunity with Colorado State that made you feel like it was something you wanted to take on? 
Well, I, I've always had great respect for Colorado State. You know, they've had great players here um, and, and some success with some, some really good coaches. Sonny Lubick was here. Earl Bruce was here. Um, Jim McElwain came here and had success. And so I've always seen that from afar. And then from playing against Colorado State in, in the Mountain West Conference, uh, you know, we built a brand-new stadium in 2017, $225 million dollars. And really, when, when McElwain came here, that was one of the things that really drew him to this, this place. Um, and that, that really had a big influence on me, just to have elite facilities uh, in the Group of Five uh, level where we could attract and bring in great talent is just something that really drew me to this place. Jay Norvell is joining us. You know, you mentioned some of the great coaches who have been there. You've also had some great players that have come through that program. In fact, in April, you brought back nearly 100 former Colorado State players to spend some time with the current players to walk the field with them. One current player said that he got chills when that went down. Why was that something that was so important to you? Well, I, I, I know this, that there, there was a lot of former players that, that hadn't come back. And we've always been this way in all of our programs. We want to open, have open arms with these former players because we know how important it is for our current team to be connected with the past and understand the past and also represent those guys the right way. And so we do something we started to call the Ram Walk. Where we walk the field every Friday before every game. We did it before the spring game. But we, we invited a bunch of the alumni back. They linked arms with our current players. And then we invite a play, a former player to talk to them about their experience. And, and it was one of the biggest turnouts that we've ever had anywhere. Uh, and I just think that the former players really appreciated their involvement. And we can't wait for that to grow here in the future. Colorado State head coach Jay Norvell is my guest. So obviously, Jay, you want to get there. And part of what you need to do immediately is try to establish that culture. And then also a style of play offensively that style of play is going to be, I would imagine, your version of the air raid. You know, a lot of coaches go on and they kind of wax poetic about running the football. What do you love about the vertical game, the deep pass? Well, you know, Jim, I, I've been lucky. I've been in both the NFL and in college football, and I, was, I coached in the NFL as an assistant for six years, but two of those years I was with the Raiders, and, and Al Davis was still alive. And Al was just so crystal clear about what he wanted to build in a football team. And, you know, he loved the deep, the deep game, the vertical passing game. He loved big players. I learned a lot from him. And in our version of the air raid, we really stressed the vertical passing game. We love big receivers. We love guys that can stretch the field and run deep. And we always want our quarterbacks to look down the field first. And so I just believe if you could put pressure on the defense that way, it really opens up everything else. And so that's where we start. Um, you know, we went to, went to work recruiting those big-type receivers. We love big, strong-arm quarterbacks. And uh, I just think it's the best, best way to play and to, to force the issue with other teams. And so we're excited. You know, CSU's had a, a, a real tradition of having quality big receivers here. And so we want to continue that and add to it. I think you were really good about that, Jay. But let me ask you this. Like, pounding the football is frequently seen as a mindset, you know, like a way to impose your will 
on yep. your opponent to get the opponent to kind of break down. Can you make the argument that going deep consistently is also a mindset and another way of imposing your will on the opposition? It absolutely is a mindset, Jim. It's a great observation by you. You know, I think I think so many offensive coaches talk themselves out of throwing the ball deep. You know, I had a defensive coach when I was in college that said if he ever coached offense, he'd throw the ball deep about four or five times a quarter because so many times the secondary is out of position or somebody is one-on-one and you have a, a, a bad matchup defensively. And so uh, really a lot of times the guys that, that let the defense off the hook are the play callers. And so we, we don't do that here. Uh, we want to take our shots. We have a saying, you can't score if you don't try. And so we want to throw the ball to the end zone as many times as we can. And we want to be smart about it. We love to run the ball as well. But I always said this. I'm a fan, too. You know, I think, I think the worst feeling in the world is when you go to a, a stadium and you watch your team and you know your quarterback can't throw. That's just something that I never wanted to be a part of that. I think it's easier to teach your kids how to throw and catch the ball and then teach them to run than the other way around. Hmm. Jay Norvell is joining us. Really interesting. Let me ask you about Freddie Banks, Jay, in the sense that he was with you at Nevada and then went to Montana State, and now he's back with you at Colorado State as the D coordinator. I bring this up because he says that he doesn't understand. As well as he knows you, he does not understand how you have so much energy. How do you explain the energy that you have? Because, frankly, we're all looking for it. How do you bring it every single day? Is it physical or mental or something else? Where are you pulling that energy from? Well, I think you understand it more than anybody because I think you have the same kind of energy. I'm lucky, Jim. I'm doing what I love to do. If, 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 uh, if they didn't pay me to do this, I'd probably try to do it anyway. And so it's not work to me. It, it's, it's I got a pep in my step, and uh, I just love being around our players. I love having uh, energy and enthusiasm, you know, and, and I'll, be, I'll be the first guy running to the end of the field between drills. And so I just think it's uh, football's been my love my whole life. I've been so fortunate to be able to, to play and coach this game at so many great levels and so proud to be the head coach at Colorado State. And I just don't take it for granted. And uh, I want to do something that hasn't been done before. I want to do something special and be a part of something special. So, Chad, let me ask you this. It's such a unique time in college sports, college football especially, and it can be ruthless, and it can be cutthroat, and it's obviously big, big, big business. But I'm hearing what you're saying, and you're talking about the passion and the enthusiasm and the energy and how personal it is to you. But there come times when you have to leave something good for great, or maybe you don't even know when it's time to leave something good or something great. Like this time came. You had a tough, tough decision to make. What was that process like, and how difficult was that decision? It was difficult. You know, you always try to look ahead. And, uh, and, and look at, you know, possibilities that may happen. Um, you know, I've had a lot of schools talk to me the last few years. And, you know, I always wanted to coach at a place where you could recruit great players and where people really loved, loved and supported the team. And I just, when, when Colorado State came calling, I just, really had to look at that hard. And, and uh, it's a tough thing. You know, I poured my heart and soul into that program at Nevada. 
Um, it's hard to leave your football team. Uh, you know, it's they become part of who you are and, and part of your family. And so, um, but this was a great opportunity. I think we can take what we do in our football to another level. And I just can't wait to get started. Jane Norvell joining me. So before you go, when you're somebody in your position, obviously you've done this a long time, you've got so many different relationships, guys that you've worked with, guys that you've coached. I want to ask you about somebody who's really interesting to me, Timmy Chang. He was on your coaching staff in Nevada. He's now the head coach at Hawaii. He talked about what you mean to him as a mentor and a friend. How would you describe that relationship? Well, I'd say I love Timmy Chang and and, and everybody that, ever used to stay up on and watch late night football and watch June Jones and Timmy quarterback, uh, the run and shoot just knows what a great, great player he was, but how, what he means to, to that Island and the people in Hawaii. And, you know, Jim, I, I, I was an African-American assistant for many years and, and really felt like I would be a head coach many years ago. Didn't get that opportunity for one reason or another, but I just always committed myself when, when I became a head coach that I was going to help young guys, especially young minority coaches, get their opportunity. And when that Hawaii job opened up, I was the first guy on the phone with that AD the next morning and just really, really pushing Timmy. And, and I'm so happy and proud that he's the head coach at Hawaii. You know, I got a guy in my staff now, uh, Freddie Banks, who I feel the same way about. I think he's a future head coach, and I just want to do my part to, to, to shine a light on these great young assistants and, and especially these minority assistants that maybe haven't got those opportunities in the past. Mm. So, Jim, one last thought. The program has had four straight losing seasons. When you were at Nevada, you inflicted some of the losses on Colorado State. You talked about what it was like to go up against them. Does it feel like you have to have a rebuild to be pragmatic and realistic, or do you feel like you can turn this thing around pretty quickly and have success immediately, even this season? I do think we can have success. And and what what form that looks like, I'm not sure, Jim, but, but I'm not going to put a ceiling on this team. I just think that, that in this day and age um, where there's so many changes on each roster, it's hard to know what anybody has until you start playing games. But I think we've got some, some really foundationally good players. I feel like we have some talent. Um, I'm excited about what this group can accomplish and I do think we can put a successful season together in this first season. Hey, really quickly, as a follow, what you just said, that it's so different right now because there's so many changes in so many rosters. When you take a step back and you look at what's going on right now with regards to that, do you have concerns or are you embracing that change? I, I, I'm embracing it, but I do have concerns, Jim. You know, uh, I mean, I think college football is such a unique thing and part of the great part of college football is the, is the rivalries, is the regional matchups. And, and I think we got to be careful not to upset that too much um, because I think the product that the, we're going to end up with can be much different than what we're used to. And it's not broken. I mean, we got a, we got a great sport. It's, it's, it's one of the great uh, spectator sports that we have. And I just I'm concerned that if we t- we we mess with it too much, 
we could really lose what's make it so made it so appealing over the years. So finally, what's the worst case scenario? Like, what's your biggest concern? What could end up happening? Well, I don't know. I just I just think that um, you know it's, we're having a hard time getting people to to, to watch games in person at all, in all these sports. You know, I was listening to some of the statistics in Major League Baseball, and it's just it's gone down over the years and. And I, I just think we got to be careful with the NLI money. You know, I think fans might have a different temperament paying a bunch of money to come see kids that are making so much money. And uh, we just got to be careful. Uh, you know, the, the, the West, the L.A. teams and the Big Ten, it's, everybody thinks about, you know, USC playing, playing Michigan and Ohio State, but – but what about if they play Indiana and Minnesota and all these other schools? I don't know if, if, if the draw is the same if they're playing Maryland. I just don't know. So it's just it's not a fault to any of those schools. It's just the traditional uh, regional rivalries are just so different. And I just don't know what fans' appetite for those kind of games are going to be. AJ, I understand why what's happening is happening, but are you telling me that when you came up, you don't remember all those epic, epic USC Rutgers matchups back in the day? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's going to be different, Jim. It's just going to be so different, and and I just think you got to be careful uh, to change things too much. It, it's it's going to be unrecognizable before too long. He is the head football coach now at Colorado State. He was named head coach in December, and Colorado State's coming off a 3-9 and nine season, but this thing can get turned around quickly, and it starts on September 3rd against Michigan. Jay Norvell, my guest. Jay, I really appreciate it. I don't want to get greedy and say that I'm expecting a Colorado State helmet like I got or received a Nevada helmet. However, <laughs> I would not be disappointed if I saw that either. You know it'll happen, Jimmy. Uh, always love being on, man. Love, you, being, love, love following your show. So I was talking about Patty. Patty the Batty. Love him or hate him. Before I get into Patty, when I say love him or hate him, I'm referencing Conor McGregor. Love him or hate him. You have to admit, Conor McGregor really is one of one. And when I say that, I mean, I've done this a long, long time. I've seen very few athletes captivate, very few as polarizing, very few that have the rap, very few that have the showmanship. And then the physical ability to back it up. Conor McGregor is an all-timer in that regard. Now, in recent years, a lot of that luster has worn off. But on the way up, he was one of the most riveting guys I had ever seen in my life. I mean, no joke. In all my years of watching combat sports, boxing, MMA included, I have never seen anybody other than, and this is going to sound crazy, other than Muhammad Ali. Now, Muhammad Ali stood for a great deal more than Conor, of course, obviously. When we're talking about social justice, we're talking about something different. I just mean as somebody with a flair, an it, an aura, charisma, showmanship, a rap, somebody who was practiced in mental warfare, somebody who would win fights even before they got between the ropes. You know, Conor was very similar. Connor would beat guys because he'd get under their skin and in their head before they even got in the cage. So, say what you will about him today, and there is plenty to say, but on his way to UFC stardom, that aura, that it, that mental warfare, 
that was something I had not seen in quite some time, either in MMA or boxing. Hell, really something I had not seen in quite some time in any sport at all. Again, one-of-one type bleep. Having said all that, I want to say, while this guy is not that, this is the closest thing I've seen to that in a while. Patty the Batty Pimblet is the closest thing to Connor I've seen. Now, is he Connor? No. But make no mistake, this young dude is special. Patty can talk junk. He can fight with his fists at a world-class level, arguably. And he's already got a following that maybe nobody can rival in the UFC, not named Connor or Nate Diaz. If you don't believe me, you didn't see what happened over the weekend. If you don't believe me and you didn't see it, listen to this. Listen to his fans as he made the walk to the Octagon Saturday at UFC Fight Night 208 in London. He had the full McGregor vibe popping in the O2 arena. And keep in mind, this was only his third fight in the UFC. Listen to what it sounded like as he made his way up to the octagon. I mean, the sound is awesome, but it doesn't even do it justice. That was absolutely insane. That was his third walk ever into the octagon. Third fight. And these people were going nuts. Like the most insane environment. And something that even a young Connor didn't have in his third UFC fight. So what is that? How is this guy already getting that kind of buzz, that kind of vibe? Well, not only can he fight at a high level... He's entertaining as hell. And like a young Connor, dude can deliver on the crazy stuff that's coming out of his mouth. Heading into that fight against Jordan Levitt. How do I say this? Things got a little testy between the two. Thank you, Alvin. Things got a little testicular. Testy between these two. Levitt claimed that he would finish Patty, twerk, and head the hell home. Patty was told about Jordan's prediction and counterpunched it with a celebration prediction of his own, a much better one, and right up your alley, clones. What do you think he's coming from with this? Is he just trying to get in your head? Yeah, he's just trying to get in my head, being a little weirdo like he is, but no one can out-weird me. I'm weirder than anyone. Is there a chance you twerk over him if he gets I'm going to teabag him, lad. I'm going to teabag him like it's Modern Warfare 2. For the uh, uninitiated at home, what is teabagging? I want to squat as close to his head as I possibly can without the ref shouting at me. Okay. Just squat up and down like I'm on Modern Warfare 2, lad. Thank you for clarifying that. Thank you for clarifying that. Hey, reporter, whoever you are, thank you for asking him to clarify that. Can you clarify what teabagging is? That, that was an absolutely incredible exchange. 
even if this guy couldn't fight a lick, that was an incredible exchange. This is what he said in response to, well, what do you make of the other guy saying that he's going to twerk after he beats you? Yeah, well, he's a weirdo, but nobody can out-weird me, and I got a little something for him. What do you think he's coming from with this? Is he just trying to get in your head? Yeah, is he he's trying just to trying to get in my head, being a little weirdo like he is, but no one can out-weird me. I'm weirder than anyone. Is there a chance you twerk over him if he gets I want to teabag him, lad. I want to teabag him like it's Modern Warfare 2. For the uh, uninitiated at home, what is teabagging? I want to squat as close to his head as I possibly can without the ref shouting at me. Okay. Just squat up and down like I'm on Modern Warfare 2, lad. Thank you for clarifying that. Lad. Thank you for clarifying that. No problem, lad. I mean, an incredible rap, right? An incredible exchange, no matter what happens going forward in life. An amazing exchange. So remember when I said that Patty was like a younger Connor in backing it up. Got to back it up, though, right? All right, after struggling with Levitt's grappling early in the fight, dude adjusted, turned the tide in the second round, found Levitt's back, slapped a rear naked choke for the win, and then, as promised, slapped his baggy right on Levitt. Tonight, this could be it for the this is it. That's tight. He gets it. He gets the tap. The penny party goes to the next level. The patty party goes to the next level. The patty party or the patty teabaggy. I'm telling you, the audio does not do it justice, but the video does. Always make good on your promise. And because Jordan talked that talk, he had to wear it. Modern Warfare 2 style. I mean, I got to tell you something. It's incredible. Dude straight squatted on him. And even more amazing, even more amazing, you want to talk about a guy with range. You want to talk about a, a guy who's got gears. After the fight, he took the mic in his post-Octagon interview after all of that. All the bad blood. How testy it was. Literally. The teabagging. Everything. And in that moment, when he could have talked the most omnipotent junk ever, he instead switches gears and he makes a heartfelt plea to everybody about the seriousness of mental health. Because a few days earlier, his friend had taken his own life. I woke up on... Friday morning at 4 a.m. to a message that one of my friends back home had killed himself. This was uh, five hours before me weighing. So, Ricky, lad, that's for you. But there's a stigma in this world that men can't talk. Listen, if you're a man, and you've got weight on your shoulders, and you think the only way you can solve this by killing yourself, please speak to someone. Speak to anyone. People would rather, I know I'd rather me make cry on my shoulder than go to his funeral next week. So please, let's get rid of this stigma, and men start talking. I mean, this dude, right? 
goosebumps, but in a different way. Incredible message. And something that he felt that not only his following, but the entire world had to hear. I mean, praise, Patty. Now, you might try to make the argument that it sounds pretty ridiculous for a guy who is just squatting up and down on another dude's head moments earlier to be talking about the mental health crisis and the stigma surrounding it. You might think that, but you'd be wrong. And this dude's the total package all the way around. I'm not going to sit here and say that I know that he's going to be a world champion, but I will sit here and say I know he's a contender. He's got that kind of upside. He's got that kind of ability, and I know he's got my attention. Incredible. And if you're still saying, damn, Rome, take it easy. You said it yourself. It's just his third fight in the octagon. We don't know who he is or what he is or what his upside is. I'd say, actually, we do know. He's got tremendous upside. He's got tremendous ability. He's got an amazing rap. And you know what else he did? He did the near impossible. I'll tell you how good this guy is. He did the near impossible this weekend. He won Drake money. Drake, you suck at sports betting. Go back to your little albums of rapping. That's right. He won that guy who sucks at sports betting money. In other words, mic drop, bitches. Look, I know you don't believe me, but it's true. He and fellow English star Molly McCann got that walking bust of a better OBS paid nicely. And again, when I'm talking about OB, and I'm saying so critically, only as a better and gambler. This dude's lost a lot of money, yo. Anyway, OBS promised each one of them a Rolex as a gift for his winnings. And my man, no offense, the Rolexes are really hard to find right now. They are. They have been for a long time. And it is cool as hell that you're paying these cats off with Rollies. But considering your betting history, maybe you double that, dude. Maybe instead of paying them off with Rollies, you pay them off with Bentleys. You don't win very often. And you lose a lot. And they got you paid. Because like Colby himself said, you suck at sports betting and these guys got you paid. Drake, you suck at sports betting. Colby, I'm not a big fan of a lot of things you say, but that was pretty awesome. <laughs> joking aside, though, actually, that's not a joke. That's true. Drake does suck at sports betting. But Dana White has got himself another star. That's the thing about UFC, right? There's always another star. The pipeline is incredible. Dana's got another star, and his name is Patty the Batty. Or as you clones know him now, Patty Teabaggy. Watch Just this guy. Just squat up and down like I'm on Modern Warfare 2, lad. Like Modern Warfare 2, lad. D-Dub, we got to get this guy. The Bookers. Shout out to my Bookers. I don't know if you can get Patty the Batty. Let's ask if we haven't already. Watch him. Listen to him. Because almost everything that comes out of this guy's mouth is gold. Everything. I mean, the bleep talking, his urgent pleas to those who are struggling to get the help that they need before something else bad happens. And this dude is the real deal. 
And the UFC's got yet another potential superstar and alpha in its stable. I love everything about this guy. His rap, his game, his serious nature. How you can out-rap that guy? Oh, yeah, I'll twerk on that guy. Oh, you'll twerk on me. Really? Okay, how about I teabaggy you instead? Just squat up and down like I'm on Modern Warfare 2, lad. The best part of all, that dude was so great. That reporter said, just to clarify, just to clarify for those who may not know, can you explain what a teabag is? For the uh, uninitiated at home, what is teabagging? You can give the answer. I'm going to squat as close to his head as I possibly can without the ref shouting at me. Okay. Just squat up and down like I'm on Modern Warfare 2, lad. Thank you for clarifying that. I like when he said, okay, like, okay, I got it. And he still kept going. Like Modern Warfare 2, lad. Thank you for clarifying that. He is Matt Holiday. Matt, it's great to have you on the program. Matt, how are you? Hi, Jim. How are you? Matt, I am awesome. I'm really curious how you are, though, because it's been a little over a week since your son Jackson was the first pick in the MLB draft. You, of course, were a seventh-round pick by the Rockies back in the day. I've got to start right here. Is there any way to put into words what it feels like as a father to hear that, that your son went number one overall? Well, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's, uh, it was a hectic day, uh, but... It's uh, it's been really fun to watch his growth and maturation as a baseball player and as a as a man. It's it's hard to believe, Jim, that I'm talking to you about my son being drafted. Going back to when I used to come on when I was actually the player uh, that was of, of somewhat importance. But uh, I'm really excited for his career and, and getting a chance to watch him develop. And you know, to go one one in the in the draft and major league baseball is a pretty cool accomplishment so i'm really proud of him and and like i said it's been a it's been a really cool week to kind of take this in with him it's amazing matt for the reasons you just mentioned number one you're right it is kind of weird and surreal that you and i used to talk all the time when you were a player and now we're talking about your son and not like hey you just had a newborn son matt how's that i mean we're talking about a son (laughs) who went first overall and you know it's kind of really really unusual matt like i've done this a long 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 time but it wasn't until i had kids of my own that also went through baseball and went to club baseball and played high school baseball that even i had a much greater appreciation for what goes into it i mean it's an astonishing thing when I look even here Matt and you know the area even here in Southern California where there's really really good baseball to think that you have a child that went first overall in the MLB draft is absolutely astonishing even given your great pedigree I want to ask there's so many ways to go about this I mean leaving aside for a minute you know the baseball aspect of it what did it mean to have Jackson with you in the clubhouse when he was three years old, and he was always there, and you could share that with him growing up. What were those times like? Well, Jim, I, I think, you know, when, when playing baseball, I, first and foremost, I wanted to be a good husband and a good father. And I wanted my kids with me because it does take a lot of time playing pro sports. And if you, if you want to be the best, and, and if, you know, that was my goal was to put in all the work. And I wanted to be there, uh, you know, working at my craft and, and and wanted to be great at baseball, but I also wanted to be a great dad, and I wanted to have my kids around me, and I wanted to be present, and I wanted to be um, very much involved in everything they did, and so that meant them coming with me a lot, and, and particularly the two older boys, um, you know, Jackson and Ethan, that they, they came with me a lot to the field, and, and I was grateful that the organizations that I was with, when you talk about the Cardinals and the Rockies and 
um, the Yankees and, and, uh, and then back with the Rockies that, that they let me bring the boys and they let them come in the clubhouse and they let me take them out on the field. They let me travel on the road with them. And, um, so I, I was grateful to have them around and then all your teammates and, and all the coaches and taking time to pitch to them and hit them ground balls and show them technique. And so I do think that it had a lot to do with, with the fact that Jackson turned into the player, uh, that he did just because I think that, you know, he got a chance to be a lot of, around a lot of great people and, uh, he got a chance to see what work ethic and, and what it took to be a, a major league player. And then obviously that the great major league players that he got to be around, what, what that next step even looks like. So um, I'm grateful for the time uh, that, that they got to come with me and spend time in the clubhouse. And uh, that was very important to me as a dad and, and somebody that, you know, wanted to be around my kids as much as I possibly could. We're talking to Matt Holiday, and he said something to Jeff Passan that I thought was really amazing to this very point. He said, quote, I didn't have to look up to someone I didn't know. He was there every day. He said that about you, and I know how much that much means to you. Matt, I'm curious about this. Like, it's one thing to grow up with it. It's one thing to be interested and be a sponge. But Jackson put up enormous numbers at the plate, including setting a national high school record with 89 hits. It shouldn't be much of a surprise. But you also told Passan, quote, ever since he was a toddler, he had a natural ability to get his body in a position to hit the ball well, end of quote. I'm curious about that. Is that something you and your family taught him, or did he just have that naturally? Well, I think it's probably a little bit of both, but I think naturally I always wanted to just pitch to him, and I wanted to give him like targets to hit at, so I tried to get him to, you know, to try to aim and hoping that he would get his body in a position to hit it where I wanted him to hit it. But I, I can go back, like, even when he was 18 months old, um, he just had a video of him just, you know, just swinging a candle at a ping pong ball at a wedding. And it's like it's, it's already like a pretty flat, like, swing in the strike zone. Um, you know, it's just it really was pretty natural. I mean, obviously, as he gets older, he's, he's making slight, you know, adjustments and, and you start to understand and talk mechanics a little more as they get older and they can understand it. But ever since he was a little kid, he just had a very, um, you know, fundamentally sound swing. And so there was never much to mess with other than I just pitched to him a lot. And, and uh, you know, he loved to work. And I always told him, I'll pitch to you as much as you want, but it's got to be your idea. And, and I, I'm not going to make you guys work. And so uh, it's, been, it's been a thrill to share the passion uh, of baseball with the, with the two older boys and um, you know, how much they like to work at it, and, and that's a thrill to me. I, I love what you just said. It's got to be your idea. It's got to be your idea. Like, my son just hit me during the show with, hey, Pop, I didn't know whether or not yesterday was a good or a good day for you to FaceTime. My first thought was, it's got to be your idea. Why don't you just hit me up and ask me? I love that you just said that. It's got to be your idea. You mentioned your other son, Matt Holiday, my guest. It's not just Jackson. Ethan is regarded as the best player in the class of 25. He hit third this season while Jackson hit second. How would you describe their relationship? And then what's it been like to watch the two of them play together at Stillwater High? You know, it's really cool, Jim. You know, you, you go from being that kind of little brother. Uh, I had an older brother who was three years older than me. You go from kind of that that little brother that's always a bother and kind of in everybody's way and in the you know and to they became really close and, and almost like best friends this year where Ethan's older now and, and he's cool now and uh, he's not bothering Jackson and uh, Jackson took him to school every day and, and took him to get breakfast and then um, you know to get a chance to watch them play together in high school was probably um, you know 
probably could be my proudest, you know, I, I think baseball, some of my proudest baseball moments of watching your boys play together and, and a high school team and, and get a chance to go hit home runs in the same game and um, it, it go back to back hitting home runs. Uh, it was a pretty, pretty cool experience. And, and he's, he's there, you know, Ethan was playing third and Jackson was playing short and they're laughing and, you know, looking at each other and laughing and they balance each other. Well, uh, Ethan's a, is a more outgoing and, and dancing and fun-loving and emotional uh, kid. And Jackson is a very, very serious, uh, very uh, stoic uh, presence. So they balance each other well, uh, and it was, it was a lot of fun to watch. I, I really enjoyed it. And my wife and I, you know, we just tried to savor every, every moment of it. Matt, I would imagine those times were probably as good or as meaningful to you as anything that you experienced between the lines. I would imagine you could probably make that argument. Before you go, like Ethan, we'll find out about. But Jackson, it can't be easy. I mean, you come from a legendary, legendary baseball family. And if you're the progeny of anybody who played the game at a very high level, and they both are, that's not easy. That makes you a target. That makes you a mark. Every other you know, loser wants to say, I got the holiday kid or whatever. What do you make of the way Jackson specifically has handled all that pressure and the way he carries himself? Well, I think the one thing is, is he's known and he's seen it. You know, he's been around uh, my career and he's been around um, and he's, he's a very observant kid. He always has been. And, and so I, I think the one thing is, is we've always told him that, that there's high expectations and there's going to be people looking to pull you down and there's going to be people to, to uh, watching, hoping that you respond to a bad call or that you respond to the other team uh, trying to get in your head and, and that these are real things and people are going to look for you to, to, to be a spoiled brat, that you come from, you know, a dad who played in the major leagues. They want to, they want to have something negative to say. And he's just a, he's just such a, a nice, uh, humble kid. He loves to play. He hustles. He first person on and off the field. Um, and I think he takes a lot of pride in that. And so that's been something I've always told him. I'll never get on to him about their performance, but, if they show the umpire up, or if they show you know another member of the team up, um, that stuff it will not be tolerated. And so I've I've always told him that, and, and reinforcing that character is the most important thing. And and so uh, he's he's handled it tremendously, Jim. He's he's handled all of this stuff. He's uh, very simple. He likes to you know he doesn't he just likes to play ball and and uh, and basically work out and watch movies with with us. And so. Um, he's he's handled it all really well, and I'm, I'm really proud of him. 100% class, and I would imagine that he understood, understands, and learned at a very early age. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep yep. the main thing yep. the main thing. Your family, those who love you, baseball, handle your business, and already even at that age he understands that. Matt, I want to say I do – I have a lot of pride in this. I really, really appreciate that you have always, always been accessible to me personally, to the program. I love that when you can, you still find time to watch the program and listen to the program. And when the whole world came at me for the turtlenecks, you were the one guy that had my back. Yes. So I really do appreciate that. I was hoping. I know it's probably a little warm for a turtleneck, but next time I come on, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping for maybe both of us go turtleneck and, uh, and we'll get a shot of that. Maybe, uh, you know, just both of us wearing a nice, turtleneck having a nice conversation about sports uh you know I'm, I'm a big fan my man i promise you that's the way that's going to go mac congratulations it's an amazing story it's an amazing family and it's just the start of the journey i know that really good to have you on the show matt i appreciate you and the friendship thank you very much jim thanks for having me on i always love listening to your show you're the best nick in iowa what's going on nick how are you hey Rome. what's up brother what's up dude hey so uh 
I know I'm on vacation right now, kind of like you were a couple weeks ago, but my vacation is uh, on a bike riding across the state of Iowa. Started out yesterday, about 50-mile day yesterday. Today is 72, but uh, it's a total of 430 miles over the next uh, – till Saturday. So I, I listen to the show a lot. I'm, I'm streaming the show while I'm riding, so I'm giving everybody the pleasure of Jim Rome. And there's about 10,000 bikers riding across the state right now. Wow. Dude, awesome. So how's that feel? Like what's generally, what's your regimen and how far do you normally ride and what's it feel like? I, I usually ride eight miles to work, eight miles back home from work every day. But uh, yeah, I've never gone over 20 miles yet this year until yesterday. Uh, it's not my first rag bri. I rode it probably right out of high school for, for probably 10 years and then got married and had kids. So this is my first time doing it again in the last 13 years. Nice job, dude. Way to go. All right, Nick. Have a great week. Appreciate you sharing that. That's somebody who's making the most of a vacation. Getting on his bike, riding across Iowa. Let's go to Manny and Oxnard. Because he's right. It has been a minute or a few decades. Manny, what's going on? Hall of Famer in the box. Get boss of Mac. Thank you so very much for allowing me to be on. Long time no rap. Como esta usted, Romy? Muy bien. Y usted? Muy bien, gracias. You know, I got to thank you, first of all, uh, you know, for all the years that you entertained me in my postal vehicle while I'm out delivering and sweating in that hot box. So thank you very much, Romy, and all the delivery people across America know what I'm talking about. Hey, you know, Rome, the, the weekend didn't suck at all. When the no-cal bike stealing battery chucks come to visit Blue Heaven on Earth, it truly doesn't suck when the Dodgers break out the broom and whack the Giants with it. It was very nice to see Clay in the house rooting for his brother, Trace, and jumping around with excitement like he just won something. Oh, wait. Damn. Sorry, Vince Mack. Let me come correct. Clay did just win an NBA championship. Congrats, Warrior fan. Hey, before I get off the Dodgers room, hey, Child Nation, gracias, and bless you for sending Mookie Betts to wear Dodger blue, and I'm certain... You all must be bitter watching watching him rake in Los Angeles. Yo, Boston Red Sox, I have a question for you and Red Sox fan. How did that ass-whooping taste the other day, losing by more than 20 runs? What was that, Boston? Rome, speaking of getting whacked, I'm not too sure what the Lakers organization is doing other than becoming much like Florida, where all the old folks come to retire. But after last season, couldn't possibly get any worse, could it? There are 47 million reasons that the player who stunk it up last season needs to make up for what he didn't do. I'm, I'm also hoping Anthony Davis can do his best to stay healthy and play the way he did when the Lakers uh, won it in the bubble. Hey, Laker fans, implore you to be better. Pull your heads out of your rear end, actually make a playoff run, and squat and teabag the rest of the league. Rome, thanks so much for the vine. Love hearing from you, man, and I love you for so many years. I am out. See, my man Manny. Rack him. Manny, and you know better. You know that I would not not take your phone call based on something you tweeted. You know that. Good night now.